you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Coming up on Huddle and Flow, we're hanging out in a hotel lobby, me, Michael Smith, and Bill Belichick, drinking, drink, just drinking and, tell, and just telling football stories. Bill Belichick says, what's that place with the Hurricanes? We're like, Pat O'Brien's? He's like, yeah, let's go there. I was like, dude, you just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> you will never... You will never get through. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. You're like, but this is, but this is where he was. Like that, Bill Belichick's not like that now. That Bill Belichick was just like, oh, okay, I'm just hanging out. He was normal. That's next on Huddle and Flow. And we are back at the Huddle and Flow podcast. I am Steve White with my dude Jim Trotter. JT, midweek, how you feeling? I'm feeling good, Steve. You know, it's been uh, a productive week. Uh, we started off with a bang with, with Sean Payton, and, and we're going to end the week with a bang with our two boys you're about to introduce. Absolutely. We got our we got our man Thomas Warren on the ones and twos behind the scenes producing with the Howard Mob about to bring it to you. And Jim, you know that we're a family right here, me, you, and Thomas, the Howard Mob. But today we're going to bring in Michael Holly and Mike Smith from the Brothers for Another television show that airs daily on Peacock. But these are two guys we've known for a long time, and they've known each other for a long time. They are truly brothers from another mother. They're brothers in our circle. And, you know, as black journalists, we are often – Really, I mean, we're really united if we see each other in a different city or wherever. We do have a click because there's so few of us and it, it, there's a bond. You know, and I've known these guys for a long time from our days covering the NBA. But 
the importance of the relationship and then seeing what these two have built in terms of friendships, in terms of careers, and actually a term, a, a, a journalistic niche that you and I and a lot of others are, are, have actually followed. Yeah, these are what I respect about the two of them, first and foremost, they're just two real dudes. You know, um, you can have conversations with them about anything as people will hear, as our listeners will hear when they check out this podcast. Um, they're real dudes. They're real smart. Uh, they're accomplished. And um, but, you know, I remember the first time I, I, I met or saw Michael Smith in person. We were actually at the Raiders and we were in that cramped little media room and it was playoff time. And all of a sudden the room is just crowded and everything else. And, and this brother gets up in the back of the room with this baritone voice and he starts, you know, directing these questions at, at, at uh, Gruden. I'm like, who is this? You know, didn't know him at all. And then find out he's this young dude, you know, because um, we had what I had been grinding for, I don't know, more than a decade trying to get to that point where I'm covering the NFL. And this is a young dude. And then you read his work and you knew right away, man, he was somebody to keep an eye on in the profession. So and later met Michael Holly uh, after that, you know, so, um, no, I couldn't be more proud that we're having him on the show. And I think our list, I, I say I think I know our listeners are going to enjoy the conversation. Really going to enjoy it, especially, you know, people who are in the business, people who yes. want to get into the business, because as you said, Jim, these are two highly intellectual guys, I mean, highly intellectual people. They've been through several different forms of the evolution of this craft, but they've also covered the Patriots. And they've got some stories from behind the wall that we've never heard before. So you out there about to find out some stuff about Bill Belichick and about how that operation is run that you are going to find really, really intriguing. Absolutely. So, wow. I mean, I don't, I don't know that anyone knows that organization better than Michael Holly does. The fact that he was allowed behind the curtain to spend um, quality time with Bill Belichick to see how the operation works, to be able to sit down and watch film with Bill Belichick uh, and then write a book about all of this. Um, that was why when we started, when we start our interview with him, that's, Right out of the gate, I need to know a little bit more about the man that he wrote about. That's right. Well, the Patriots may be six and seven right now, but we're really about to learn <laughs> a ton about the man driving the force. So on that note, let's bring in Michael Holly and Michael Smith. Oh, Jim. We are joined by two mics on the mics, two brothers that we know have known for a long time. They've got their own show on Peacock, brothers from another. Let's join, let's welcome in, I should say, Michael Smith and Michael Holly, two cats we've known for a long time. Brilliant. What's going on? Brilliant on the mics. What's Man. up, Michael? Good to Looks see y'all. They're not just friends of the programs. They're, they're friends. So so this is cool. Right. Although, although I have to say Long this. Long time. Like, you know, I know how accomplished Michael Smith is and everything he's accomplished and all that. But, bro, when we're sitting here with a Pulitzer Prize winner, <laughs> a New York Times bestselling author. Six and times. A and, okay. And, <laughs> and, and an associate professor. You know, I'm like, dang. Mike Smith is, is 
Slacking. No, 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 he's not slacking. But man, that bar is set high when you're dealing with that other brother over there with all that. Listen, but I know him when though, so it's cool. You know what I'm saying? That's like, right. I, 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 we all did. We all did. I got it on the ground floor, so that, none of that stuff don't intimidate me. You know, <laughs> he knows a lot of stuff too. He knows a lot of stuff that he needs to keep quiet. So you know, I gotta. I feel you tell people sure. that relationship goes back 21 years. Tell people how it began. Yeah, Mike. <laughs> Mike, man, like, what's up with that? He snorted. He was just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> with a with, with a with a still unanswered phone call. I was a I was a young whippersnapper leaving New Orleans. Had never been outside of the South. I was going up north for the first time into Boston and had my family concerned about my my well being in Boston and my housing situation fell through in the summer of 1999. And uh, Jerry Brewer, uh, he was like, yo, you need to hit up this Pulitzer Prize winning brother. This columnist holding it down in Boston. His name is Michael Holly. And so I hit him up. Uh, actually, no, I called the Boston Globe news desk. I was like, hey, I'm Michael Smith. I'm going to be the intern. Would you mind giving me Michael Holly's number? And I'm going to come back to that in a second. I was like, would you mind giving me Michael Holly's number? I was like, oh, sure. So they gave me the number. I called Michael Holly. I leave this message. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, listen, I'm I'm your I'm your mentee. I'm the intern, and I'm your mentee. I'm, we've been I've been assigned to you, whatnot, coming in. <laughs> just wondering if while I get my housing situation together, you know, I could just crash for like a night or whatever, night or two. Man, let's just say I found my way uh, somewhere else. I, I, I found an apartment somewhere, <laughs> but it wasn't for him. It wasn't for his help. What? And, and meanwhile, the policy at the Globe was they were not to give out his phone number ever again. To anybody, <laughs> after I called, I just, I, you know, I just needed a hand, I needed a helping hand, and my man left me hanging. Thankfully, this I dude him. left the most rambling, craziest <laughs> message on my voicemail. Hey, uh, you know, you don't know me. Uh, I'm Michael Smith. I'm in the car right now with my family. I got no place to stay. Can I stay at your house? I'm like, yo, yo, who is this dude? Who is this? I'm calling the globe. I'm like, yo, who's this Michael Smith dude? I said, don't give him my number. Why y'all give him my number? It's not good. But you know, the thing is, you know why they gave it to him, right? You know why they gave it to you, right? He's a black man. You're a black man. (laughs) But you know, what's crazy though? It's crazy that we we uh, it was never quite the mentor mentee relationship. We just. You know, when we finally did talk and without the crazy phone calls and all that stuff, we, we met in person. We just hit it off. And uh, we spent we spent that summer, uh, you know, the, the mentoring probably happened, you know, late nights, uh, you know, diners, <laughs> uh, listening to music, just chilling, uh, going on assignments together. Because Mike, you know, what he didn't tell you is that he was a pretty, uh, he was a prodigy. He was a prodigy as an intern. So... They gave him, and this is a good word for a lot of interns out there, you know, you show yourself to be competent, they'll give you assignments. So from the start, he was able to handle what they gave him. So they kept giving him more. And it was just, it was obvious that uh, when they offered him another internship before he finished the first one, it was obvious that that he was on that track to, to be at the Boston Globe full time. Yeah, that's when I would see y'all and Coach Willie May at the Celtics games. We'd be going out and eat Italian food afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> back, back in the old NBA circuit. The yes. old Chitlin circuit. Yes. All right, so well, since you guys both live in New England, 
we got to ask you about how how the folks up there are dealing with the Patriots season. Kind of give us and, and Michael Holly, are, are you know you can start just how they're dealing with it because they're so used to being the Kings, and now it looks like the Buffalo Bills are going to win this division. And well, Steve, let's let's let let's let the the listeners know too. These are two guys who can speak on it because Michael Holly has written what three books either about a Patriot or on the Patriots. And Michael Smith used to be a beat writer for right. the Patriots. So these are two perfect guys to speak on this. Yeah. I mean, look, when Tom left on St. Patrick's Day in Boston, you left Boston <laughs> on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, for, oh, for real Tom? Okay. All right. All right, dog. I see you. So this whole abandonment by Tom Brady, it's its a lot of anger from, from a, a significant part of the fan base. And some people are just like, hey, Brady gave us six, so we're good. But I, I think, uh, I mean, you tell me if you disagree, Mike, it comes down to this. They've got Belichick, and they have cap space next year. They feel like, if you got Belichick, you'll be all right, even without Tom Brady this year. Uh, people know they're not a great team. They'll be fortunate to win nine games. Uh, and, and even if they win nine, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. But I think people just are confident with with what they've what they've got there in the infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that they bought themselves a, a transition year. I mean, you know, the dynasty, uh, the Brady era of the dynasty might be over, but I don't know if the dynasty has ended so much as it's been interrupted so much they're taking a break. You know, I, I was in denial about just how bad a team they were. Um, and we had a little, you know, running back going about whether or not they'd have a winning season this year. And I was feeling pretty good after 45 nothing. You know, I'm like, oh, snap, you know, this is how it starts. You know, they're about to get on the run. And they went and got, you know, humbled this uh, this last week by the Rams. And so, yeah, I, I think most sophisticated sports fans, and New England's got a lot of sophisticated sports fans. They understand what yeah. they've experienced and how unparalleled it is. You got some other ones that were born into it. And, and like you said, Michael, it's fault. I don't know how to act. They ain't had nothing but, you know, prime rib and filet mignon their whole life. So they get a hamburger and they get upset. That's not right. realizing that, you know, they still got the master chef at work and he'll find a way to get them back, back in business in no time. You know what I'm curious about is, is Michael Holly, you had a chance to get behind the curtain with Belichick and not many people have gotten that opportunity. One, I wonder, how did you get it? And two, what was that like during that time you were writing the first book on what was then a budding Patriots dynasty? Yeah, I think I got him, uh, Jim. I think I got him at the right time. This Bill Belichick, I, I remember talking to him around 2011. And at that point, uh, you know, he'd already been through Spygate. He'd had some issues. And he was like, he, his trust in people just went down. But in 2002, when I started it, I mean, he was like he had won the Super Bowl the year before, but nobody was saying this is the greatest coach of all time. Uh, his overall record was still a losing record. Even after that Super Bowl run, I got him at the right time. And it, it went back to an article I did on him, a column I did on him in his first year, 2000. They were 5-11. and 11, And late in the season, nobody's paying attention to the Patriots. I went down and I uh, spent like two or three days with him. I said, I want to watch film with you. I'm going to see what it's like. Uh, we're always focused on the Sunday NFL. I want to see the Monday through Saturday NFL. So I watched film with him after doing that for a couple of days. I said, man, I thought I knew a little something about football. 
I don't know anything. I said, I'd love to do a book on this one day. He was like, all right, well, let me know when you're ready. <laughs> so that was in 2000. So I came back. I, I went to Chicago briefly, came back to Boston. I was like, hey, remember that book we talked about? He said, yeah, I remember. I said, uh, I think I'm ready to do it. He was like, okay. Um, so he had to figure out some terms. And one of the uh, one of the parts, one of the big parts was I had to take a leave from, from the Boston Globe to kind of establish that I wasn't going to take what I saw behind the scenes and, and take it to the media. So I that mm. was one of the agreements I had. Now, for those who don't know, Mike Smith knows this, and, and you brothers know it, but those who don't leave from the Boston Globe means not getting paid for it. Right. Brother wasn't getting paid for a year. Right. And the book project, and they went nine to seven in 2002. So a lot, not a lot of publishers saying, hey, let's hear about that nine to 17. So I did not have a deal. Oh, I remember asking Mike Smith, hey, man, you got $50. <laughs> and Mike and like, I said, I remember, exactly. Remember that phone call? I, I, I never got a return call. Remember that? <laughs> no, I got I got a little acknowledgement in the back of the first book or something like that. <laughs> 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 But you know what? I, I think I told Mike this to answer, to answer the other part of the question. Man, what a football education. It was like right. I went from like junior year in high school to like grad school. So, yeah, it was great. It, it was really I, I, it opened my eyes and it it, uh, it showed me how much I didn't know about football. Can can each of you tell us your own experience, a Belichick story that maybe the public doesn't know? that sheds a light on maybe who this guy is that, that we might not know based on your experiences? This story sounds like a lie. I, I promise you it's true. Like, so they win, they win Super Bowl 36. First of all, ooh, I got, you know, I think statute of limitations is up. So before the game, I, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'd like to just write some column about, how the Patriots will upset the Rams, Patriots 14-point dogs. I'm like, I just don't see it. Bill Belichick says, come to my room. This is like the day before the game. This is like, uh, like maybe it's like a Friday. It's like Friday before the Super Bowl. He said, come to my room, my room in New Orleans. I'm like, man, I want to write how you guys are going to beat the uh, Rams, but I can't do that. He goes, why can't you? I said, I, I can't make the case. He said, Yes, you okay. This is what am I basically what am I doing here? It's like, am I you know, like what's up? He says, I know you covered the NBA. This is taking a fast break team and turning it into a half-court game. He said, They got more talent than us, they're faster than us. They cannot beat us in half-court basketball. That's what the game's gonna be tomorrow. We're gonna hold them, we're gonna slow them down, we're gonna hit them. And he said, you know. Go look at their turnovers. He said, they, like, everybody keeps talking about their offense, but they turn the ball over a lot. And they, they'll give us a couple of turnovers. We just got to take advantage of it. Then he said, um, hey, stop focusing on Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner is not the quarterback of the of the St. Louis Rams. The quarterback of the St. Louis Rams is Marshall Falk. So if you know where Marshall Falk is going, that's their whole offense. We're gonna, but we're going to treat Marshall Falk like he's the quarterback. We're going to hit him. Every time he comes out of the backfield, we're going to hit him. We're going to follow him. We're going to frustrate him. So I pretty much said, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks for the column, man. <laughs> so, uh, so I wrote that column. It's going to be an upset tonight. Patriots over the Rams, you know. And I kind of gave my uh, my talking points, which were his. 
But the next – like on Sunday, after the game, they beat they beat the Rams, and we're in a hotel. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. We're hanging out in a hotel lobby. Me, Michael Smith, and Bill Belichick drinking. Drink, just drinking and, tell, and just telling football stories. Bill Belichick says, what's that place with the Hurricanes? We're like, Pat O'Brien's? He's like, yeah, let's go there. I was like, dude, you just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> you, will never, you will never get through. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You're like, but this is but this is where he was. Like, that, Bill Belichick's not like that now. That Bill Belichick was just like, oh, okay. I'm just hanging out. He was normal. So we we talked to like four. He was like, I guess I got to go to bed. I got this this uh, this press conference tomorrow. Belichick used to be like that all the time. He would just he would joke around. He'd talk about um, he'd talk about music. I remember driving with him one time from Boston to his hometown of Annapolis, and we just talked about music, mostly drive concerts he's been to. He was he was talking about. U2, he was talking about the Stones, uh, Springsteen, Bon Jovi, obviously. So we had a, a and he, he put some, he put on the Beatles, he put on, hey, check this out, put on some of his music. So, so Mike Smith, what, what happened to him? Mike Holly said he used to be like that. What do you think happened? What happened to Belichick? Probably, you know, 2002, Boston. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, getting rid of Drew Bledsoe. You know, and, and and watching some of the media continue to, you know, um, criticize him and, and, and in some cases crucify him for some of his personnel decisions. Um, I think he just got a little jaded in, in, you know, over the years uh, early on. I asked this, I wonder, can he be content with those six that he has? Um, or now with Tom gone, is he the type of personality that says, I got to get one without him? I think he'll just I don't think it's a Tom thing, man. This guy, like, he's gonna die on the job. You think so? Yeah. He ain't giving that up. Yeah. Really? I think the idea I think the idea of him needing to win one without Tom would suggest that he is somehow concerned about how the rest of the world perceives the Patriots dynasty. Like it's it's bigger than I agree with you, Michael. It's, it's bigger than Tom Brady. Like that would be assigning Tom Brady. That would be Bill Belichick assigning Tom Brady a level of importance that I don't think he does. And that, that's, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean he doesn't respect him. It doesn't mean he doesn't right. value him and appreciate him. But you know, I don't. Th- that'd be like, oh, I got to prove something. Like to who? You know, who, who exactly does Bill Belichick feel like he has to prove something to? So let me ask you this now. Now you know we we've all been in this business for a while, and we see kind of where you know if we if we can pivot off the page it's a little. What we're doing is is black men, and how we we've gotten these this opportunity, Jim and I with the with the Huddle and Flow podcast, you guys with brothers from another. What about getting this opportunity now to tell? We've 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 been storytellers, right? We told other people's stories, but now there there's context we can put on it, right? Now there's perspective we can put on. What about having these avenues to put our perspectives on this? I just think it's a matter of just being unapologetic and, and being able to look yourself in the mirror and, and know that you told your truth. I mean, the, the way I've always gone about it is it's like, you know, I'm going to be me. I'm going to say what I think and not 
I'm not in it for promotion, either from a professional standpoint or, you know, how it's received and how it how it's, you know, shared or celebrated. Like, I don't I don't do this for likes and retweets. It's like I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm telling you like I like I see it. And if that, that resonates, cool. If it doesn't, cool. But it's, it's, it's how I it's how I see the story. It's how I see the issue. Um, you know, just in terms of specifics to this project, um, that was a that was the one mandate for me to uh, to come out of retirement <laughs> and, and, and to do this again with Michael Holly was, you know, there, there will be no editorial oversight as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't it doesn't mean we don't we don't have bosses. It doesn't mean we don't have producers that we respect. But what we talk about and how we talk about it starts and ends with, with me and Michael. And that, that was that was a must that we were going to be able to we were going to have the freedom um, to talk about topics that we wanted to talk about that resonated with us. Uh, fellas, it was time. I felt like it was time for this to happen. You know, when this came up, there's some people at NBC who had asked me, hey, do you, have you thought about doing radio again? No, not really. You know, Peacock is 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 looking to do some things. Are you interested? And and once they started talking about what the plan was and all they said, it really, it truly happened like this. It said, and if you were willing to do this with some, I said, okay, stop right there, Michael Smith. If if we're talking about doing it with somebody, I'm, it, it's, it's Michael Smith. This is because it's time to do something like this. And, and I think I, I was in a different place because, you know, Mike, you said you've, you've always uh, just kind of done what you're going to do, been true to yourself. I don't think I really was like that. I feel like I was, I was doing a bit of a balancing act for a while. When I was a beat writer, I was, I was doing a balancing act because I'm on a beat. So I always, I always had like some, I can't give the full me because well, if I'm going to be a beat writer, I can't throw my opinions out there fully how I see this because then I, I lose some credibility on the beat. And then uh, as a columnist, you know, in Boston, I, I, I'm, I felt like, and this is me doing this to myself, limiting the scope of what I was going to write about. And then on radio, eh, you know, I, didn't, I never felt like I could just give them everything I was on the radio. And I did it for 13 years. Why? why I'm like curious. Why did you feel that? I wasn't totally trusting. Of? I, I didn't trust that it would be received the way it was coming out of me. I just, I, I didn't trust. I didn't trust everything. I didn't trust that people were ready for everything that I was. Supervisors or audience? Uh, uh, combination, but definitely supervisors. Definitely. Definitely. I compartmentalize. I compartmentalize myself. And I think a lot of people do that. But, you know, I got to the point and I don't know if it was just maturity or just, hey, what am I doing? What am I doing? I got a lot more uh, in me that has not come out. I'm just going to do this. This is the first time. It's not the first opportunity. It's the first time that I have brought my full self to a public project. Like we talk on the show, we talk about our wives, we talk about our kids, we talk about our fears, vulnerability, we talk about sports, we talk about God, music, we talk about everything. And I've never done that before um, in a job because there's always something in the back of my mind, oh, they don't know. 
I don't know if they're trying to hear this for real. Uh, they can't handle this for real. I'm like, oh, why am I saying that? Let's just do it. That's the beauty of you guys' show is that they list it as a sports show, but it's not a sports show. It's really a life show. I can only speak for myself, but I think what happens as you get older is that you start to ask yourself questions. And I know for me, one of them was, what's your purpose? You know, you can do this job forever and go through life, as you say, comfortable and fine and make your living and all is good, but not feel as if you're fulfilled. And I think for me, after Colin took that knee and I saw the reaction by folks on the outside and I just, and there was something in me said, you just can't let this go. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta speak on this, you know, and, and set the record straight that it's not about what a certain group of people are trying to say it's about. And for me, that was kind of where I found my purpose for where I wanted to go over this latter part of my career, however many years I have left. So, you know, I know it hits everybody at different times and there are different things. Um, for Steve, it may have been something else, but that was it for me. Guys, remember, remember back in the day, whether it was, you know, me and the two mics on the NBA beat or, or Jim, you know, sort of an NFL beat, all of us together. I mean, we would get together and talk about all this stuff. Yeah, right. Right. Like, uh, uh, did you see, like, it was just us four in the press box out of 150 covering the Patriots game in the playoff game or whatever, you know. So these were conversations now that we are, you know, again, we're, we're making public. We're Again, we're, we have avenues now to do that. I think the culture – um, of what we do is is at least listening, you know, whether they like it or not, they want to throw shade or not. But again, I think that's what it is. And Michael, you know, Michael Smith, I think, you know, when you and Jamel started this years ago, people were like, whoa, hey man, they're, <laughs> they're letting people in, you know, they're, they're taking our, our green room conversation, so to speak on air. And I think that's when a lot of people, not a lot of people, but some people are like, okay, we're keeping an eye on this because we like what they're doing. Not everybody liked it, but it was okay. So now I think we're kind of seeing with the groundwork that you guys laid with a little bit more bandwidth. And so, you know, did you ever look back on that and say, you know, you guys were the first ones to, maybe not the first ones, but in, in the yeah. format that you did step out in the way that you did? Um, I, I think there was some – aspect of pioneering definitely not the first i mean you know i think about the likes of of ralph wiley for instance uh we, we had a lot of forefathers and foremothers uh in in the business um you know who were who were speaking on the intersection of sports and society i, I think i think at at, at at espn we were definitely different i mean well i think the the, the biggest one was prior to his and hers to my knowledge there was not a woman on television five days a week. Thank you. Driving a sh- driving a exactly. show alongside a man. There might yeah. have been women on television in prom, you know, in prominent positions, but not with their own show that I'm aware of. With an opinion, opinion, an opinion, exactly. Yeah. There might have been somebody hosting a show, yeah. setting up the man, mm-hmm. you know, or or anchoring, but not driving a show with their perspective right alongside the man, like we were equal. Uh, there definitely was not, um, and Jay Adnande brought this to my attention, before, before we did Sports Center. there wasn't, you know, two black people hosting a show that was not a, a comedic show in prime time. But um, yeah, I mean, we look, I look, I actually, you know, Steve and I appreciate that 
it's something that's allowed me to look back at the last few years uh, from a place of pride and not pain, you know, because I look back and I'm like, yo, you know, we did something that kind of, kind of uh, set a bit of a trend, you know. Bro, I'm, um, well, I'm going I'm to tell you this. You should be proud because when you and Jamel did that podcast and we could hear two young black folk sitting in a room talking about stuff that we could relate to, whether it was red Kool-Aid or whatever, <laughs> the room yeah. that, that the outsiders, room? yeah, that outsiders yeah. might not understand. What does that mean? You yeah. know, it was just so real that that we would walk around with a smile on our faces. We're listening. Yeah. I'm speaking for yeah. myself. I would walk no, around with a smile that. on my face as I'm listening, and I'm like, that's powerful. And and so no, you should be proud of that. You and Jamel both should be proud of that. But what really makes me proud, you talk about purpose, is when we were able to rename the show His and Hers and, it, when, and when the show started to t take on the personality of the podcast, because before it started as Numbers Never Lie, which was more of a sports show, His and Hers was a culture show. The yes. amount of people who was who were able to, at least in some small part, guys, find themselves on His and Hers, or at least go, it was someplace where they could go and be themselves. Like there were people that within the halls of ESPN who would come on our show and it's like a different person yep. than, they, than they were somewhere else. And they would tell us that they were able to be their unapologetic selves. So even for Michael, like a, an unapologetically black sports talk show or a culture show, I've, I've done that already. I didn't need to do that again. But Michael needed, to, needed to, 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 to have me here by his side to do a show, the one the one thing he hadn't done was a show like this in Michael's <laughs> career. Like of all, the, the one thing he hadn't done was something like this. So I'm like, not only is it do I have some unfinished business, so to speak, but my man's need me. You know what I mean? Like he, he need me to do this show, and I and and he didn't have he didn't have to tell me that for me to know that he needed me to do it. And so on Thanksgiving, Michael was talking about how thankful he was for a show that allowed him to be the you know to 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 show and share. The, the man of faith that he is, the father that he is, you know, the, the the music lover, the writer that he is to be on a show like that. And so that made me feel good knowing that I got, you know, a part in, in, in bringing that side out of him. The one thing that I think people need to realize about uh, Mike and Jamel at ESPN is they made it happen. And, and I always say, when I talk to students and they say, hey, you know, what do you think employers are looking for? Should I do this because employers want that? Should I do that? I'm like, what do you want to do? Don't look at it from their perspective. Look at it from your perspective. Because ESPN didn't come up with his and hers. They didn't come up with the name. Mike and Jamel came up with that. They didn't come up with the show. Mike and Jamel had the podcast. I, let me tell it. Let me tell it. It's not an ESPN employee. They didn't want Jamel on the show initially. Mike pushed for it. Mike pushed for it. He was like, hey, what about Jamel? Because they had this whole idea in their head of what a show was supposed to be. And Mike was like, I was there for the whole thing. I, you know, I took notes. I was gonna write a book on it. I'm just kidding. No, but I no, I was there for the whole thing. So I know, I know the history. And 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 uh, when they got together and they were doing the podcast, and then the podcast, his and hers became the show. It wasn't just that they did this. Hey, we got it. 
they went out of their way to make sure that people who weren't being recognized in the media, people who didn't have their voices out there prominently, were getting some run on their show. So I would say, I, I remember like a lot of people got started on, on his and hers. Yes. That's, a, that's the first time I heard of them. On that I remember show. them having me on. Wiley, a whole lot of guys came up blowing up. Yeah, and they launched. So I think that's important. Like, know what you want. Don't don't go about this business navigate navigating this business wondering do they see me? Do they like me? That'll drive you crazy. Yeah, but can I can I can I also say this, Michael Holly? Um, one of the things that one of the takeaways from what happened with Michael and Jamel, in my opinion, that's been a true lesson for everyone in this business is that they realize their own power in terms of creating their own companies, being their own bosses, and yeah. not having to answer to others. We get so caught up, and, and I'm, I'm again, I say we, I'll speak for me. When you first get in this business, there's this ego thing that kind of drives you. Like, I, I want to be the man on this beat. You know, I want to be the authority, whatever, whatever. And then you start to realize as you go along over the years, you really don't have any power. Yeah. Power is those people in the glass office and nobody knows. So, you know, if you guys can, before we get out of here, what advice would you give um, the young folk who are going to listen to this podcast and aspire to be, you know, either of you? Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I, I've enjoyed um, over the years, looking back, I've, I've enjoyed reinventing myself at various stops and not always by choice. I think the thing you're right, Trot, a lot of people especially young people, they want, they want the, the talk show. They want the, you know, they want to give their opinion. They want to be on camera. They want to be famous. And I think the thing I would trust to young people, because I struggle with this question a lot, because it's like, man, the business is so different than we, when we all came in, there was no social media. There was no internet. You know what I mean? There was, it was newspaper, it was radio, it was television. You had to work your way up uh, in one of those mediums. Right. I would say to them, to like, stop, believing that you know what's what you want early at an early age it's okay to have goals okay to have aspirations but it's like too often i find young people kind of just get this tunnel vision when it comes to what they want to do and this is the only path to get there when it's like there's an opportunity or more important a relationship waiting for you that can help you to grow and evolve in ways you don't even know it's like don't turn up your nose at, at these opportunities don't turn up your nose at these uh you know, the, these these relationships that that are that staring you in the face that could take you on a path that you don't even realize uh, could be the best one for you. You know, like sometimes it's just about showing up, being energetic, being available, uh, being accountable, being reliable, uh, those types of things and, and developing relationships along the way. Those types of things take you much farther than whatever talent you think you have. And you could end up doing something that you never imagined just if you want to be a storyteller, you'll be a storyteller behind the camera. You'll be a storyteller as a producer, right. as a director, as a writer with where with, with a byline or, you know, all those skills translate. So I would just say, you know, worry about just, you know, sharpening your skills and worrying about developing relationships and embracing opportunities and not feeling like, man, you know, I want to be on TV. How do I get on TV? Well, you know. Yes. How do you become a better storyteller? It should be the question you're asking yourself. How, how do you become a better journalist? Yeah, that's such good advice. I, I like that you you mentioned the relationship part. I'm going I'm to bring it full circle and I'll say, uh, get a mentor who actually call you back. 
<laughs> but, but no, mentoring, mentoring is so important. I think about, and there's so many, uh, and as I look back, there were people who were mentors who met, who forced me, who forced me to look up to them and to listen <laughs> to them. And I'm glad they did because you wind up doing things unnecessarily. You wind up trying to reinvent something that doesn't need to be reinvented. Somebody has traveled that road already for you. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to struggle in that particular area because somebody has already done it. So, I mean, there, there, there are so many examples where a mentor can help you, can help you just even if you even if you say, all right, thank you for the advice. That's another perspective. I'm going to go my own road. Just hearing right. a, a lot of different voices before you make a decision is valuable. Can I cheat? I'll, I'll try to make this one quick. And I'll just just to, if I could go back and add, I will just say also, don't be don't be so success is not linear. It's, it's just don't don't feel like everything is a setback or an obstacle or even the F word a failure. You know, a lot of these things that either happen to you or decisions that you make that you may feel like are mistakes really aren't. Right. You know, it's all growth. It's all growth opportunities. It's all, you know, it's all stepping stones, man. That's the only thing I would add. Steve, I want you to give your, your thoughts too, man. Yeah, just quickly to me is, is watch how people handle themselves. I mean, you know, just coming up, you know, I, I coming up, you know, high school sports, college sports. When I got to the NBA, you know, David Aldridge, and we've all been around DA. I mean, just, just a high character dude, but you would see how he would work a room, you, how he'd work a locker room, how he'd work team executives. And it was yes, always man. just so distinguished in yeah. terms of he was smooth with it. That's a good word. He was, he was, he was man. He's yeah. Good. yeah. Man, yeah, I love that brother, man. I love him. Yeah, right. All right. But I mean, just, just you would just watch him. And I'd be like, man, everybody talks to DA. And it's because he didn't burn them, but he was great at what he did. So I was just like, this is who how I'm gonna just carry myself. I'm gonna wear a sport coat now. Because a lot back when we were coming up, guys, remember dudes wear shorts. The freaking games. They oh, come yeah. in the NFL press box wearing shorts. What? Like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. yeah but, we, a, but we could or should never do that. And that's one thing. And, and the other thing is just kind of a credo I've always lived by is nobody wants to hear excuses or explanations. Just do the job. Or do the job. Speak on so, it. Jim, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't sit this one out. No, I, I spoke on it in the beginning. You know, okay. I, so I don't, I don't, I look, all I'm thinking right now is for the young folks out there listening to this, this is like a, a master's course in this business. Yeah. And one of the things I thought that was so poignant was what Michael Holly said in terms of, you know, my dad always taught me when playing dominoes, all money ain't good money. And so <laughs> if you, if you chasing the dollar, more than likely, you're going to get yourself in trouble somewhere along the way. So don't cheat the process is what, you know, right. what I would always say. So Michael, tell us about your new book. And then we're going to have a quick little fun before we uh, before we peace out here. All right, real quick, real quick uh, on the book. Um, it's been in the works for eight years. <laughs> I, I've talked about a failure. I felt like, man, I really, this, this book is not going to happen. This is not the book I want to write. A year goes by, two years go by. I wrote another book. I wrote another book after that. Then I saw Doc like a year ago in Boston, year and a half ago in Boston, he was like, the book you should do is the big three. <laughs> I said, you know what? You're right. I said, you're right. That is, the, that's the book. So I was able to do this book on just this whole, the snapshot of not just Celtics basketball, but the NBA history. I make the case that the 2008 Celtics 
were the last uh, conventionally created super team. In other words, hey, Danny Ainge has Paul Pierce. He trades for Ray Allen. He trades for a KG. They didn't ask to be together. It just kind of happened. That's the last time we've really seen the super team built like that, unless they were drafted from, right. you know, from, uh, from the from the floor up. Uh, LeBron and, and uh, Bosch and, and Wade didn't do it that way. LeBron didn't do it that way when he went back to Cleveland. LeBron didn't do it that way when he went to L.A. and told A.D. to come with him. K.D. didn't do it that way when he went to Oakland and then went out to Brooklyn. So I think the big three was the last time the guys just kind of came together through a general manager to form a super team. Okay, so on that note then, okay, however you want. Let's have a little fun here. Your favorite big three, your favorite NBA big three. I'll start it off with MJ Pippen and Rodman. Does it have to be NBA? No. Okay. Go. Go. Let's broaden it. Doesn't have to. Be. Can I go? Can I go triplets? Only. Only Cowboy. because of. For me, it was man because I grew. I grew up in New Orleans, but I'll be. I'll be honest. I got sick of the Saints choking in the playoffs, so I got. <laughs> I fell in love with the, the Cowboys in like nine. I want to say it was ninety because I feel like they went seven and nine and ninety. They want to come up when they got Emmett. Then they went 11 and 5 in 91. And 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 Irvin used to give Dion the business on Thursday night football back in the day. I remember the, the slant routes all day long. And um, and so yeah, I, I got that, that that triplet era Jimmy Johnson Cowboys was uh was what I grew up uh loving. Oh, I'm sorry, I got two. But NBA, I'm gonna give you an NBA window. Oh, Run TMC. I knew you were gonna say that. Oh, I, was I love a, it. I love it. Love the Golden State Warriors back in the day. That was my don. I used to because they weren't, you know, they had a new bowl at center, and they, they never they never broke through in the playoffs. But they were fun That's to watch. The they, were, they, were they had Marcelonis too on the fringe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were nice, oh, when, man. When they got when they got Chris Webber uh, for, for Penny Hardaway on draft night, I went and got this extra medium jersey, and I was happy <laughs> for about a year. Then they traded him to the Bullets. I'm like, man. Can't have nothing, you know. So yeah, the, the now, Warriors, you're, now you're in Jim's wheelhouse talking about the Warriors. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Mr. Holly. Yeah, man. You know, I grew up in Akron. And so back in the day, this is this is long before LeBron. So the Cavaliers were always like 23 and 59. They were the Ted Stepien rule Cavaliers. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I always had to have a second team. Now, my second team was Philly. Mm. So when they got Moses, fo 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 man so we have moses we had doc and you can put you can put in andrew tony as a third i would personally say mo cheeks i love mo cheeks oh you have to have mo in there yep. so you mo have cheeks. to have mo in there hey man that was my team the 83 sixers that was my squad i man i'm like five eight and i used to play <laughs> ball i wore number two playing basketball like mo. i was like a five eight dude playing like moses <laughs> For me, my first love in basketball was was even though I love the Warriors, having grown up in the Bay Area and whatnot, our teams were always so bad that um, when Magic Johnson left, you know, Michigan State and went to the Lakers, and all of a sudden you see Magic and Kareem and Worthy, that was like it for me. And especially with them playing Boston, I mean that rivalry. Oh. I don't care who writes it, what it is, I'm I'm in it. I'm watching it. I'm reading it because it's yeah. just so compelling to have. You think back to those teams, how many number one overall draft picks would be on a roster back in that day, coming off the bench, Michael Thompson, 
Byron Scott. I mean, he had uh, all these studs. I mean, go with it. You had Kareem, Magic, um, Worthy, Michael Thompson, all coming off the bench. If we were doing football, as Michael Smith alluded to, for me, I'd have to go back to those 49er teams where you had Montana, Rice, and Lott. You know, oh, my God. That was that was it for me. So um, you could have gone a lot of directions here. You could have been like Roger Craig, Dion. No, 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 no. Joe, (laughs) I know. I grudgingly have to give Tom his due as the greatest when you got six, but Joe was the man. Joe for you. Yeah, and Jerry, we know the greatest of all time. And Ronnie, just I know we get in trouble for saying this now, but Ronnie was pure physicality. Oh yeah, pure violence, which is what this game is supposed to be about. And there was nothing better than what Ronnie calls, these are his words, a woo hit. Where when you hit yeah. that dude, everybody goes, woo! <laughs> we, we waited on those from Ronnie. How many, how many, how many dudes on Ronnie Lott real quick? How many dudes, if any, started as a cornerback and went to safety for strategic reasons? Usually they'll go to safety like at the end, like, all right, you lost a step. Right. A step. But then go to safety and lower the boom like he did. Not just like, a, you know, like I'm roaming in the middle of the – like he was like all-time great safety, but started as a cornerback. He went from safety in college okay. to corner, which See, is even more rare. Yeah, he that was a safety at USC. He and Dennis Smith okay. were back there together. And he came to the 49ers. They needed corners. Remember, they had two rookies at corner his first year. Eric, Ronnie I mean, and Eric, right. right? Yep. And they had a third rookie at safety and Carl Williamson – and they had a street free agent in Dwight Hicks at the other safety spot. So you had three rookies in that secondary and a Man. street free agent. And Ronnie made the transition from safety in college to corner in the rookie, becoming a pro bowler, to then later going back to safety. Justin and Carl. Only other dude I can think of, I think they're, they're like a Cornell, wasn't Cornell Lake corner to safety too? Like but mid-career? Injury, injury well, I don't know. Yeah, injury I don't Cornell. know. And I know, and I know I Woodson know, and Rod. Rod did both Woodsons, both yeah. Woodsons, fellas. I got to dip. I got to go into the studio right now and do some stuff. But want to thank you, you so much Appreciate for joining us, man. joining Bella. us right here. Appreciate thank you, you big time. All love. Hands emoji. Hands emoji. Yeah, let's do it again. You know, Steve, I have to admit, I think um, we've had a lot of great episodes on this podcast, great guests and everything. But just in terms of the conversation, I got to be honest, this one I really enjoyed because, you know, it was like four friends sitting around, you know, um, a dinner table, you know, after the meal, having a glass of for you all, it would be wine and whatnot. For me, it would be lemonade. And um, and then just having a conversation about, you know, life and work and family and all those sorts of things. And. I didn't even feel like this was a podcast. To me, it, again, it just felt like four friends getting together who hadn't seen each other in a little while, having a conversation. And for that, I appreciate them. Jimmy, you know it's so cool? You know, when I think about Michael Smith and Michael Holly. Again, our days when I was covering the NBA and I'd be up in Boston, and me and Michael Holly would be out with Coach Willie May, you know, a local Boston figure up there having dinner or, or doing whatever. And just the, the intellectual conversation with Michael was fantastic. But then Mike Smith, when I was making the transition from – the written journalist to the broadcast journalist. I was doing part-time stuff at ESPN and I was actually brought up to Bristol and Mike Smith was hosting the show. I was like, wait a second, dude. I remember when you were like an intern covering the NBA. Okay. Big oh, to you. But he was the man because he's so good. But you know what I really, what just heartened me so much about that interview 
is when we talked about him and Jamel um, Hill at ESPN really staking their own claim to what they were doing and making it their own. And even though there were haters to it, there were also people like you and I and so many people in this industry who are like, we love this because this is different. It's like going like me transferring from University of Missouri to Howard, like, oh, okay, now I'm at home. And just the fact that they kind of really established, I won't say established, but again, heightened the genre on that platform they did at ESPN. And again, it's something you and I have followed and, and you know, the Mike and Mike have followed and, and some other folks have followed. I, I just I just loved hearing Mike discuss that. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about both, say, Michael and Jamel that I really respect is that as big as they are and as much success as they've had, you never got the feeling that you were being big time. You know, it's like there are some, as you know, in our business, um, the egos can get out of, out of control um, once you start to climb that ladder a little bit. And with both of them now, you can just shoot them a text. Hey, can you come on the show? We want to talk to you for a minute. First thing, absolutely. When do you need yep. me? You know, that sort of thing. And I just find that I remember we had Jamel one time when she was working at ESPN. We asked her to come out. We Every year we have a um, our local chapter of NABJ, the San Diego Association of Black Journalists. We have a scholarship reception where we give out money to local um, aspiring journalists on the high school and the college level. And I remember um, uh, we were all sitting around trying to figure out who could we get to come out and speak one year. And someone brought up Jamel and they were like, oh, I don't know that we can get her and what, you know, and this and the other. I said, let me let me make a call. Called her up. No problem. She came right out and did did the scholarship reception for us and killed it, killed it. So for me, um, that's what's so impressive about the two of them. You know, when you need them, they're there and they just have so much insight, so much experience that they can give to the younger folks. And that's another thing I loved about this episode that if you're an aspiring journalist or a young journalist, there's a lot in there for you um, to chew on and learn from, and it should help you going forward. Absolutely. All right, Jim. Well, that wraps up another episode here. So bring us home, my brother. Well, again, we thank you all for listening. Um, Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us your comments. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Let us know, you know, who you want us to talk to, what topics you'd like uh, us to talk about that way. We can give you more of what you're funkin' for. And folks, Jim, I, and Thomas can't thank you enough for all the kind words you're leaving us on social media and everything like this. We're catching a fire, okay? The, the snowball is rolling downhill. Spread the word about how rich this podcast is, what you like about it again, like what you don't like about it, but spread the word because we're not going away now. You guys have made us into something. Jim, the folks out there have made us into something And we just cannot (laughs) thank you enough. And real quick, speaking of mics, we had two mics on today. Jim, next week, we are scheduled to have another mic on. Why don't you give him a little bit of tease before I get us out of here? Let me just say that, that one of the biggest disappointments in my career was as a beat writer for the San Diego Chargers, and they had the number one pick in the draft. And the expectation that year was that they were going to take a quarterback number one overall. And let me just say that quarterback was coming out of Virginia Tech. And the then head coach of the San Diego Chargers, Mike Riley, called him, could be, and said he could be the Michael Jordan of the NFL. And the Chargers traded away the pick, and I never got a chance to cover him as a beat writer. But look, you guys know this. 
that year when Michael Vick was coming out, he was the hottest thing in football and something that I, you know, had really never seen. Even, you know, I thought he was even different. You know, I know Steve Young could run and throw and all of that. Michael Vick just seemed to be of another, of another, you know, I don't know what you would call it, but um, I didn't get that chance. So you did. I'm envious I of you from that standpoint, but I, I, that's I who did. we're having on. And we can't wait because this is going to be real because Mike and I, when I worked in Atlanta, we went through the highs, the lows, and the rebirth is one of the most incredible stories and things that I've experienced in my career. So we're going to talk about that all next week. But for Jim Trotter, for Thomas Warren, I'm Steve Weitz. We are the Howard Mob on the Huddle and Flow podcast, and we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.